Hey friends, it's Kira. Welcome to the Astrology Show. Um, I am, as always, very excited to share this episode with you um, all about Venus with Diana Rose Harper and Charm Torres, um, two wonderful Venusian friends of mine. And yeah, I guess just to start off, um, I... I'm a little late with this episode than usual. Um, That's because I had to relocate because of um, one of the fires down here in LA. Um, I was living really, really close to one of them, the Bobcat fire. Um, I was staying in a place that, I mean, I could see the flames from the kitchen, (laughs) the kitchen window. So the smoke was just like really bad and the area that I was in was actually under an evacuation warning. Um, so I had already like packed up my stuff and I was kind of waiting to leave. But then the smoke got so bad that I couldn't I couldn't really like talk for long periods of time. Um, so I couldn't do readings. I couldn't record the podcast. Um, and I just realized I had to get out of there. So this Mars retrograde is so far, it hasn't even been a week, but um, it's definitely been very loud. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of you have stories about what's going on as well. Um, but yeah, I am now in the desert. I, <laughs> I yeeted out to the desert two hours away. Um, and the air is much clearer out here. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's way better than anywhere like in LA right now. So Um, I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. Um, So yeah, sorry, this is a little bit later than usual. Um, But, you know, let's get into it. I have this really great conversation um, all about Venus, and I'm really stoked to share that with you. Um, And as always, stick around to the end to hear me recite the Orphic Hymn to Venus. Um, It's one of my faves. I I've been working with Venus um, for a little over, I guess, like six weeks now. I've been fasting on Fridays and um, I mean, I've been working with Venus for longer than that. But in terms of my fasting and my like dedicated, um, you know, prayers and offerings to her every single week, um, that's been going on for since I got here to to California Um and I'm loving it. And I think Venus appreciates it. <laughs> so hopefully um, you guys all, you know, get a lot out of this episode. Um, check out my Patreon page. Um, next Sunday, actually, on September 20th is when we're going to do our first um, AMA, which means Ask Me Anything. We'll be, I'll be like, you know, on Zoom for like an hour, just hanging out, talking to people, talking to you all, all of my all my Patreon supporters um, on the um, sextile and trine tiers will be able to join. So it's not too late if you want to check out my Patreon. It's um, patreon.com slash show, And on the $6 tier or the $10 tier, um, you, can, you can join me for this AMA slash Q&A um, next Sunday. I'm really I'm excited for that because I just love to talk to people about astrology. So you can come with any of your questions um, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, um, I hope you enjoy this episode.
Hey, Diana and Charm. How's it going? Pretty good. Good. Nice. <laughs> I'm so not gonna complain. No, I was gonna be like not complaining. It's Venus Day, and yes. Venus is in Cancer, and yes. that is a relief. It's really a relief. I woke up just feeling better than I have all week, and I just woke up and like checked my app, and I was like, "Oh, Venus is in my fifth house now." I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. Well, we'll talk about where it's at for all of you, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay, so let's start out by just doing some introductions. Um, I guess actually to like really start out, I'll just state the episode (laughs) name (laughs) and the date. Um, So yeah, this is episode three. We're talking all about Venus today. Um, And it's Friday, August 7th. What time is it? Um, Oh, 4.12 p.m. Pacific standard time and I have Diana Rose Harper and Charm Taurus here with me today Um, and yeah I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves so why don't we start with you Diana um yeah so my name is Diana Rose I'm obviously an astrologer um (laughs) obviously um I um am currently living in the Los Angeles area um and yeah, I don't know what what else what else should I share, Kira? Do you, could, if you're comfortable sharing your sun moon rising, that'd be great. And maybe mm-hmm. just talk more about like, your practice and your offerings. Yeah, totally. So um, I have a Sagittarius sun and moon. They're actually pretty close together, uh, with a Capricorn rising, um, which. I don't know. This is like, a, it's a long story, so I won't get into it. But whenever I learned I was actually a Capricorn rising instead of a Sagittarius rising. Wow. That was one of the most significant moments in my life. Um, total relief. Um, and my practice, um, man, where do I even begin? So I, um, I do astrology for folks. I also do tarot and, uh, distance Reiki. Um, I also do, uh, like tutoring and mentorship around astrology and tarot and spirituality and also magic sometimes for folks. And that's really fun. Um, and I have a Patreon. I have accepted that I'm a writer. Took a while. Um, yeah. Um, and then Kara and I met, um, at Norwac 2019 and that was, that's actually where I met Charm too. Like all of us, I think met each other there at, Norwalk, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. What else should I that's, say? That's great. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that the other day, um, driving around LA, and I was like, I remember the moment that I, I made the decision that I needed to move here, and it was actually mm-hmm. at Norwalk. The first, mm-hmm. uh, the first lecture I went to was like a Judith Hill lecture, and mm-hmm. I don't really remember what exactly it was, but it was something about Saturn, and I remember being like, I need to like add warmth to my Saturn placement or something. Oh. There was some reason I was like, I need to move to LA so I can be warmer. Mm-hmm. And then I met you and you were like, yeah, I'm moving to LA. And I was like, should I move to LA? And you were like, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and fast forward a year, here I am in a closet in LA. So <laughs> we made I love it. it. Yeah. So yeah, charm. Um, tell us more about yourself. You can share your 
excuse me, sun, moon, rising and talk about your astrology practice. Yes. Um, I just want to warn people. I feel like I feel really giggly right now. There's probably going to be a lot of giggles happening. (laughs) Um, But I'm Charm Torres. I'm currently located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And actually, just like you, Kira, I'm I'm sort of in the process of moving to the West Coast, Um, most likely in 2021. Um, I am sort of chasing my sun and moon line over there, basically, because <laughs> my luminaries in my chart are in like what we call like the houses that are hidden and challenging. Um, but my sun, moon and rising, so I'm an Aries sun, uh, Aquarius moon and Pisces rising. And actually sitting, well, people can't see us, but looking at all of us together, I'm realizing that there's a lot of like big Jupiter energy happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really exciting. Um, my practice these days, I would say like, tw- you know, 2020 has been like, shit, that's like an under, um, understatement of the year. But I feel like 80% of my practice right now is like really focused on doing one-on-one consultations. And um, I feel grateful that that is... Um, really able to support me right now in this like really precarious time. Um, But I think at the same time, it has, you know, right now, I actually don't have a lot of capacity for other work. Um, It's, it's such a great thing to be an astrologer, because there's so many different ways we can do the work. um, And to diversify, like how we want to be creative and like, you know, offer things. Um, But right now, I think most of what what I do is, um, uh, just one-on-one consultation. I haven't quite accepted that I'm a writer, but I also write things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I met both of you uh, at Norwalk, but I feel like I connected with you both through the internet prior to that. Yeah, and I, I, rem- I remember, Diana, when you came in my like internet radar was when I think yeah Monica, Jessica yeah, event. yeah and then it was like a quick follow that you know that was obvious and then obviously Kira like in terms of your work with Nflux is just amazing so and meeting meeting you and having our exact degree like Pisces rising we have like an exact <laughs> Rising, and we're wearing the same color right now too I know so. I was gonna say it's <laughs> so like good. actually weird how Charm and I like have these weird synchronicities in terms of like us both being Pisces rising at the same degree. Um, <laughs> same with Sam Reynolds, who also has the same degree rising. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And the two of us have like creepily scary similar charts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love that Charm and I like showed up in the same color. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I love, okay, so yeah, big Jupiter energy, also (laughs) big Venus energy, obviously, between the three of us. Um, Do you want to share your Venus signs? I'll say mine. I have Venus and Libra in the eighth house. Um, How about you, Charm? I have Venus, Pisces in the first house. So lucky. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, Diana? I have Venus in Capricorn, also in the first house. Yes. So that's why I, like, really wanted to bring both of you in because you're both very, like, intimate with Venus, you could say. Um, 
having it in the first house and you know i obviously have venus in domicile too well not too charms is exalted mine's in domicile um and then diana's is just like angular and your middle name is rose so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's angular and it has decent accidental dignity even if it doesn't have essential dignity awesome. so yeah and also diana is like I guess that's like a lunar name. So you just mm-hmm. kind of have a lot of planetary goodness and <laughs> just like in your, in your vibe. In your um, namesake. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, let's, let's talk about having Venus in the first house. Like how do you interact with Venus? Um, how do you feel like it shows up in your life having it so prominent? And whoever wants to go can start. Unless you want me to, <laughs> unless you want me to delegate, which might be easier. I mean, I'm sure both of us are already like, oh yeah, here's this list of things. <laughs> um, as the Sagittarius, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> but uh, what's interesting, so my Venus in Capricorn, like one of the, one of the things that I've noticed about uh, planets that are in Saturn ruled signs especially if the Saturn in the chart is also uh, some level of dignified. So like I have Saturn in Capricorn too, also in the first house, um, is that those planets will not really unveil themselves um, except with time and age, right? So I consider myself a kind of a late bloomer in a lot of ways in that like I I can look at pictures of myself from like years ago and be like, I was actually kind of cute, but I didn't feel cute at all (laughs) um until i don't know like my mid-20s um so i would say like one of my experiences at least with venus and capricorn in the first is that it's taken me time to kind of understand where venus has landed within me and how to kind of mm, accept and embrace that um and also accept and embrace um, some of the other Venusian qualities that come with, especially like Venus and Capricorn. I love really well-made things. Like I love beautiful things that have been crafted from material by, you know, judicious and skillful hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's taken me a long time to accept that and accept how true that's been my entire life. Um, and then, with Venus in the first, like turning to my own body as something that I can um, think in terms of what does it mean to skillfully work with this material that I'm going to be carrying with me my entire life. Um, so those are the first things that come to mind, at least. Love that. Yeah. Beautiful. I love I love Saturn, actually. I know this is a Venus episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, okay, maybe that's a good segue for my Venus, because actually my Venus in Pisces have an exact trine to my Saturn in Scorpio. So Mm -hmm. that that feels like a very strong, it's almost like they're like a two-for-one deal at this point in my life. Um, but my, my relationship to my Venus, my exalt, so this is interesting with like exaltations. Um, my relationship to my exalted Venus is actually very complicated. Um, and I feel like I could really look back in different chapters of my life in terms of how that relationship has evolved. 
Um, but it is ruled by, so my Venus is ruled by a fallen Jupiter in Capricorn. So I feel like that really adds like a layer of nuance. But in terms of um, my experience, I'll share. I think growing up, um, I really, I did experience like being like a hyper-sexualized like child, which is so complicated in like the landscape of our really patriarchal misogynist world so that's like an experience that's very like vivid for me like in terms of my childhood and I often wonder too how much of that I've also internalized in terms of my own you know identifying with how I feel desirability and beauty all the Venusian things um but outside of that too I have had some really beautiful experiences in terms of like I was thinking of like romance as like a way of life, not just like in the context of romantic relationships. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I feel like actually the first time I ever read my, you know, like the astro.com personality portrait, like in my <laughs> early 20s when I had no idea what like what a birth chart was, um, was that. I just remember reading like the fact that my name is Charm was like very fitting for having Venus oh, in the first yeah, house. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, that's like, that's an interesting synchronicity in a sense. Um, but, but yeah, I did have a lot of like really beautiful experiences like in my early childhood, in my youth, in terms of um, like relationships um, and and in a sense, what's interesting about the first house is like about embodiment, but there's something about Pisces energy that's also quite disembodied. So that's where I feel like really complicated because I do like identify with the whole like I check out, <laughs> I dissociate a lot, I'm like daydreaming all the time. <laughs> I would miss my subway stop because I don't know, I was crying <laughs> in public, um, stuff like that. But it's like part of the whole like romantic vibe um, and just like, I guess like there's, for me, like it being in the first house, I do feel personally like this sense of like being really infatuated and like falling in love and being moved really easily by like really even mundane things. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I'll share for now. <laughs> do you have any Venus-Neptune um, aspects? Um, my, well, my Neptune is in Capricorn, um, but so they're like a sign-based kind of sextile. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, And I have, I actually have like a 10 degree conjunction between Neptune and Venus. Okay. So Neptune is closer to my ascendant than my Venus is. Right. Yeah. I have, I have the square. Well, my Venus placement's kind of, (laughs) it's kind of complicated. Um, (laughs) but I do want to kind of talk about having Venus in Libra and domicile, um, but it is in the eighth house and it's exactly square by nodes and my Uranus and my Neptune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's a wide trine with uh, Saturn too, which is cool. Um, but but yeah, I, I feel like I, I can relate in a sense to um, like, being sexualized as a child or as like early on pretty young um but in the sense that like 
I think my, the Venus principle in my life was so, it's in the eighth house. So I experienced a lot of shame around it. Mm -hmm. Um, even though it just came so naturally to me, everyone, my, both my parents have Venus and fall and in detriment. So <laughs> it's like all the Venusian stuff that like, I was, I just, I guess as a kid, especially it was like very naturally, um, Venusian in the sense that I was very sociable and also like I, I feel like I was boy crazy from like three years old like I remember being mm -hmm. in pre-k being like that's my boyfriend like <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> so so yeah I can relate to that in a sense but experiencing a lot of like you know shame and, and like guilt around you know being in a, a woman's body or like, you know, being raised as a female, but having kind of like restrictions around how to express that. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of do want to like reverse a little bit and talk about just general Venus significations in case mm -hmm. there's anyone out there that is like a little bit lost right now. So um, I'll just start by saying like Venus is the principle of unification of love and of beauty and relating to relating to things relating to other people um yeah do you guys want to add anything to that i always use the word harmony whenever i'm talking about venus um and like what does it mean to create harmony in some way um and when it comes to like unification and beauty and things like that like also thinking in terms of like what magnetizes, like what brings something towards another thing or person. Um, and whenever I say person, I like to think of that in as broad of a way as possible. So not just other human people, but like, you know, we always talk about roses, for example, whenever we think about Venus and like roses are appealing because it's like their shape and their color and their texture and their smell. Um, and like all of those things really magnetize people and pollinators <laughs> um, towards like roses and other like sweet smelling flowers. So yeah, that's one thing I like to mention yeah, with I Venus. I love that harmony and attraction really, like it's the principle of attraction and what you're attracted to, um, what makes you attractive to other people, that's all Venus. Mm -hmm. Today, actually, I feel like right before our session, I was looking at a lot of recipes for baking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like inspired by Venus and Cancer, I feel like Venus really represents all sweetness, like all sweet things, um, but also decadence and indulgence, like things mm -hmm. that feel really rich texturally, like in, in every aspect of senses yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and and yeah I guess I was saying like I feel like romance is such a big Venus signification as mm -hmm. well even outside of like relational context yeah. um yeah I love that yeah everything sweet everything delicious um everything like it's love really I like to I like to describe the difference between Venus and Jupiter as like well, Jupiter is the greater benefic and Venus is the lesser benefic. And so what that looks like is like Jupiter will like, you know, it's more about like windfalls or like huge, big opportunities that kind of change your life. Whereas Venus is like, I feel like having like a really good Venus like weekend would be 
going out on a date with someone that's like really sexy on a Friday night, having like a delicious meal, maybe going out dancing, um, having like a late night dessert, going home, having sex all night, maybe waking up, having sex all day, <laughs> having like a delicious brunch, like all these things that just like make you feel pleasure and, and like joy and just delicious and lovely. Um, mm-hmm. That's Venus. Um, yeah. It's not, maybe doesn't necessarily like change the course of your life, but um, it's just about like experiencing pleasure and like good things. But I feel like it's also deeply transformative and healing. I think especially in our world where desires and pleasure is really like very limited to certain types of access to certain privileges in mm-hmm. our world where for some people like, you know, like, someone might not have time or capacity to be able to live in that sense. Um, And so people have to be like really creative to find those pockets of pleasure in their life. But, um, but in a sense, like when people engage with their Venus in like that sort of healing way, like it can be really, I think it can be life changing too, for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I Um, also like to, I was just going to say, I was also like to remind people that Venus as a planet, like the actual like object in the sky has been associated with war and war goddesses too, like as the association with Inanna, like the Sumerian goddess who was extremely just like, I want what I want and I do what I want and I want everything and nobody will deny me. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I like to bring that up because I think sometimes it can be um easy to make venus be this really soft something which then makes it easier to dismiss within a patriarchal context um but desire is intense right and um wanting what you want like that form of liberation is like really really bonkers to experience Mm -hmm. um and i think it's really it can be really uh interesting, I guess, to chew on this idea of, um, you know, Venus as a planet that can be so invested in harmony that it is willing to do some destruction along the way, um, or willing to um, harm in some way towards an ideal of balance and harmony and unification and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good point, because I feel like it really kind of brings out the the notion that like the planets are pretty like there's a multitude of contexts that you can really play like discuss planets and that really actually made me think a lot about in the context of like a patriarchal world Mm -hmm. like how like feminized labor is so precarious and like undervalued in our society like when I think of like caretaking child caretaking (laughs) daycare Mm -hmm. you know like sort of like quote-unquote like feminized labor like cleaning it's like these groups of people like don't make a lot of money in our Mm -hmm. in our kind of world so that's yeah that's really good that you brought it up Mm -hmm. yeah I think um it was Alice Barkley Cat Ace brought also has talked about this and in terms of like Venus in um being a planet of war Mm -hmm. um because I think the way that they conceptualized it was like, you need Venus to, to unite like your team against mm-hmm. the other team. And so, yeah, the, the act of unification and like making things 
a light, like look at war uniforms, you know, and like, you know, you can look through history, um, war propaganda, all of the stuff, like you need Venus for war as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, ha- and I think Ace also emphasized in their analysis, like how Venus can serve the ruling class versus Mars sort of are like the other, mm-hmm. other. I think there's also something about um, even thinking about the violence of beauty standards, for Uh example, like what is um, collectively considered beautiful and how that gets weaponized um, Uh against particular populations. I can't, you know, for whatever number of reasons, Um, you know, I was actually just thinking about, I forget where I saw it. Um, might've been on Facebook. Maybe I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook group that is like entirely um, like non-white passing POC. Um, and maybe it was on Twitter, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter where I saw it, but something <laughs> along the lines of um, like, how old were you when you realized that it's not that you're ugly, it's that you've been hanging out with too many white people. Oh my uh, god. I think I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. Wow, that's and, like giving right? chills. Right? So, you know, like how many how many people are walking around like misperceiving their own beauty, misperceiving their own attractiveness. Um and maybe even miss like totally dismissing what they actually personally find beautiful and attractive because of how um heavy and successfully conditioned um, these ideas of like what actually is beautiful, what actually is um, attractive and acceptable Mm -hmm. and all of those kinds of things. Like, again, it's like going back to what Charm was saying, this is propaganda. Who is served by you thinking that, you know, a particular um, face shape or a particular skin color or a particular hair texture is superior to another in terms of beauty. Yeah, Um, that hits so hard. I, I went to, I grew up like, I went to an all girls school growing up and it was majority, it was like, you know, prep school, private school, um, and majoritively, majority, majoritively, I don't know, uh, white girls. It was mostly white girls. And that was huge for me growing up was like, never, I like really thought I was ugly. Like <laughs> really, I really, really did. And, um, yeah, I mean, that I feel like ties back into my eighth house Venus too. And it's like my type of beauty not really being, not really being accepted or belong. Um, yeah, that really hits. Wow. Yeah. And it's quite global too, because mm-hmm. like I, I grew up in Philippines till I was like 17 before moving, emigrating to Canada and like in Southeast Asia, um, like whitening products, skin whitening products is so prevalent. And Mm -hmm. I, I I remember growing up, like engaging with that through like the adults in my life, like telling me to use those products as well. Like it's, 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 yeah, it's quite global. Um, But you know what you brought up about like the violence of beauty standards, it reminded me of like back in my early twenties in like queer femme spaces, we would have debates about, how pretty privilege doesn't exist mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the context of conflating, like being like in a mis- through the lens of like misogyny and rape culture, like in terms of how people who are deemed also like you know objectively beautiful and desirable, um, there's almost like a packaging that happens mm-hmm. um, that kind of loses like the layers and complexity of a person's 
person, like a person's whole personhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very, yeah, it's, it's complicated. Super complicated. Um, especially like I like to think, or one of the things I think about is how, um, intelligence is frequently taken like the perception of intelligence is frequently taken from people who are also perceived to be beautiful like you can't be both like you can be the pretty one or the smart one um because to be both is to be like ultra threatening yeah um and so one or the other is taken away um but that doesn't work the same with um like cultural perceptions of non-beauty of ugliness like ugly often gets conflated with stupidity so it's this whole uh trap (laughs) it's a trap the whole thing's a trap um yeah that's i feel like this is a good segue to talking about um the different like basically venus in, in the context of essential dignity and talking about what maybe the, what Venus in Taurus looks like, what Venus in Libra looks like, um, and Pisces, and then we can talk about Venus in detriment and fall. Um, so yeah, why don't we start with Venus in Taurus? Uh, what does that, how does Venus in Taurus express itself? <laughs> materially, <laughs> materially, <laughs> like as, as, an, as another Earth Venus, um, and with like one of the advantages of being a Capricorn rising is having Taurus as your fifth house. Um, <laughs> like it explains so much about Capricorn rising people actually. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. You know, when that's I- where people get, that's where when people say Capricorns are like insatiable in terms of sex, like, yeah, it's like give me all that body pleasure. Yes. Like give me yeah. the body pleasure. And also um thinking about what kind of indulgences a cap rising is more likely to in- invest in, right? It's like you're investing in things that are sensual and material in some way. Like, you know, for example, I'm wearing my like pomegranate, like my sterling silver pomegranate earrings today, right? And like they like part of why I love these earrings is like one they're beautiful I will just show them to the camera for people who are watching the video version right um and they're also heavy and like can you hear that a little bit right like as I wear them they make sound so there's a multi-sensory experience with an object that is also like handmade and beautiful and I feel like that has a Venus Taurus kind of relationship to it where it's just like yes remind me that my physicality can be enjoyed I love that yeah it's so beautiful oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) you know I think a lot about Taurus too in the context of like the exaltation of the moon as well because that's Mm. always that's an interesting connection um when they yeah so definitely Venus and Taurus there's like a concrete way it manifests um, and you know, there, there's like a really, it's like, it has to be tangible and real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, the people I have observed who have these kinds of placements, I definitely see them kind of, I, I, I find them inspiring around like embodiment actually. Um, cause I'm always kind of in awe of people who are like in their body a lot (laughs) um and so some you know I would I would like in terms of comfort like I'm thinking of comfort I have observed people like just like being 
kind of always horizontal, like very tactile and affectionate, physically affectionate, like really love touch. Um, yeah, and they would have like candles burning and there's some scents kind of wafting in the space. There's some beautiful music. <laughs> and, yes. you know, they're like eating with their food on their chest or being fed <laughs> or something like that. That's like the image I'm getting. Basically um, the Empress card in the tarot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so just like that sense of lavishness. Um, I guess relationally, though, um, in terms of Venus in Taurus, I, I think about it too around like reliability and um, I guess like when, when you're in a relationship dynamic, I imagine there's a sense of um, like I'm thinking of like acts of service kind of love language. I don't know if that makes sense to both of you, um, but this sense of like, um, there, there has to be like a concrete way of showing how you're there for each other and with each other. That's sort of mm -hmm. how I imagine mm -hmm. Venus Taurus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of you know with Taurus, I, I always go to sensuality and the five senses, and with Venus and domicile and Taurus, it's like very much about sensuality and like how to engage with. The physical material world around you um, through the five senses so like beautiful music lovely smells like delicious food um, really soft and like comforting textures um, I don't know oh and I guess like being around like just your environment being beautiful and nice to look at um, yeah, I, I mean, Venus and Taurus, I immediately picture the Empress card um, because unlike Venus and Libra, it feels very um, like solitary, not solitary, that's not the word I'm looking for, um, sedent sedentary? sedentary, sedentary, like in place, it's rooted yeah, in, in place. place. Yes. Yeah, exactly. One of the ways that I like to talk with people about Taurus, um, you know, because people will often come in being like, yeah, people say I'm really stubborn because of like my Taurus stuff. And I'm just like, is it that you're stubborn or is it that you trust your own judgment more than you trust other people's judgment? And I think whenever we have Venus and Taurus, that's like, do you trust your own preferences more than other people's ideas of what your preferences should be? You know, trusting your own, um, like, trusting your senses to give you the right kind of information about what you want and what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. So what about Venus and Libra? I mean, um, again, in domicile, but this time we're talking about an air sign. So it's, there's more movement to it and it's way more relational. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of when I think of my Venus and Libra, it's like, one, I, I like want to be pretty. That's, that's like <laughs> something that like always comes up with me. It's like, yeah, but does it make me look pretty? Um, <laughs> I love it. That just reminded um, me of like your beautiful pink sweater. Which is Which like one? I have so many. The fuzzy, oh, I don't know. The like cropped fuzzy one that you had when you came out here in November. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just thinking about like the selfies that you were taking at our Airbnb in Joshua Tree, where it's like this Airbnb was like orange, right? It's like this orange stucco building. So it has this like really textural thing. And then your sweater being like fuzzy and textural and your skin being just like radiant, right? But like 
Oh, the, aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, super aesthetic. And, but like, the, the point being like, not the textures, but the transmission of the textures through the amazing selfies that you were taking while we were there. Like, I'm serious, because you're just like, you're trying to share in a more broad way, mm. which I think is a very like, air sign thing of just like, disseminating yeah. where possible. And like in Libra, you're just like, I want to dis- disseminate this beautiful image of me <laughs> oh, <I love> that. <laughs> that I curated. I like very carefully <laughs> curated the colors and like, like everything. Yeah, so. it is very, I mean, it's very aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think of it especially as being relational, like being in Libra. Um, I feel like that it's one of my greatest gifts that I'm like pretty good at just talking to people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and that, you know, I, I try not to take for granted the fact that I'm a social person and that like, that doesn't come easy for everyone. And I've noticed that just like throughout, I mean, I remember being, um, in like first or second grade and my dad (laughs) say, my dad who has Venus in, um, Virgo, he goes, wow, like, talking about me being in school and having friends, he was like, wow, they, they really like you, huh? <laughs> and they couldn't understand that, like, these, like, kids that, especially, like, these rich white kids, which, you know, he was born in 1940, so that, he, that concept is just, like, you know, unfamiliar to him, but he's like, wow, like, they really like you, huh? Like, you really are making friends and like being really (laughs) surprised by that. Um, and yeah, I, I, that's something I really appreciate about myself is that I'm able to like make form relationships with people. And yes, I also have my chart ruler like on the descendant. So my relationships are everything, but Venus and Libra really helps with that. Um, and then also like, you know, I went to art school, like, <laughs> aesthetics are everything for me. Um, what, how, what else? I mean, I know, Diana, you have, um, your midheaven in Libra, mm-hmm. so. Oh, oh my yeah. God, that's why you're so Venusian. <laughs> <laughs> and the first, in from in the, the first house, too. Yeah, and my, <laughs> my Venus actually squares my midheaven by three degrees, so. Oh, my um, God. That adds to, adds to everything. Um, I mean, yeah. one of the, one of the ways that that's actually been shaking out, um, is I've been like very slowly and like not super like proclaiming it to the entire world. I have this mini console called work your angles, <laughs> um, ah! which is all about helping people like basically translate their ascendant and like through their midheaven, almost like if your midheaven was styling your ascendant, what would that mean about how you need to be showing up in the world whenever you're in a public facing position, like whenever you are presenting yourself or your work, um, and then, you know, taking into account any planets that are participating in the situation with like the ruler of rulers of the angles and things like that. Um, and what I've discovered through this is I am really good at making um, really solid Pinterest boards relative yes. to people's charts you are really just so everyone knows i've had this console and if you look at my website um the color scheme from that website came from images from the pinterest board that diana <laughs> put together I love for it. me yeah um, it's been, yeah well yeah essentially there's like that styling component <laughs> and i feel like um you know like that being one part, like the aesthetics, right? Like how do we like take the abstract thing that is the natal chart and then abstract that further into like a 
an aesthetic concept and then translate that into reality with people. Venus and Capricorn, right? Like translating the beauty through the material. That's been a really interesting way to kind of understand my Libra midheaven. Um, but the other thing is like, I like to be, um, I like to be the right kind of inclusive whenever I am like presenting work or ideas in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and I really like to invite people in to like, think about things. And I like to invite people to have conversations instead of arguments. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, even if that's just with themselves, because like both of you have experienced this of people coming to you for sessions and they're like in a battle with themselves Mm -hmm. over like who they should be and like how they suck and like all of these kinds of things. And it's just like, well, what if we think about it in a more compassionate way? Like that's Mm -hmm. totally like a Libra. I think of that as a Libra thing. It's like, how do we balance? Like we're not dismissing that there's bad stuff that happens to people or that there are negative things that the chart can point to, but like, how do we balance that? Like literally balancing the scales of like what you are perceiving about yourself in your life. Um, and I think that's absolutely like, like that's one of my favorite things about my Libra of heaven is that I can help people see things just enough differently that they kind of click out of being too heavy on one one side of thinking about things. So I feel like that really reminds me of like how Venus in Libra would show up in conflict situations. Like um, I have observed like like one of my close friends have like some significant Libra placements, but it's like really inspiring the process that they go through to resolve conflict Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like I have a bit of an opposite way of doing that so it's like there's language and there's Mm -hmm. yeah reframing and there's like the stepping away and reflecting on like the intention and the goals and then coming back to whoever you're engaging with and coming together and finding resolution or if it's not resolved you keep going (laughs) it's like mediation um, it's mediation yeah Yeah. it's it's really inspiring and um i remember my first um astrology teacher actually called the air signs as like the social lubricants of the zodiac and i Mm. thought that was hilarious because i just imagine if the world It was just like a bunch of fire, like, and water. It's like, we'll just all be crying and yelling at each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And then I feel like the the diplomacy that, like, Venus in Libra offers is actually quite a gift in, like, you know, like, specific context. And I find it inspiring um, as an Aries. (laughs) As a (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to bring up because, like, for me, I do have Venus and Libra, and I also, it's opposite my Aries moon, and mm-hmm. um, I just want to smash, I want to go Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> and, but what you bring up about conflict, that's, like, a, an internal conflict with me a lot when it comes to, like, my ex, we have, um, like his moon was on my Venus and and then so our moons were opposite um, and our, and our Marses were opposite. (laughs) (laughs) So um, lots of fighting, but uh, you know, or arguing or whatever. Um, But yeah, there is this like, I think for both of us, him being a a Libra moon and me being Venus and Libra, like wanting to go about it in a very diplomatic way. I think our Marses being opposite made that really difficult, but um, but yeah, I mean, 
when you when you're talking about like mediating and and going about things in you know like you said in a very diplomatic way that's something that I definitely try to to do a lot which also makes me think about um, Venus and Libra or just Libra in general being about justice and fairness mm -hmm. as well um, and how yeah that's like I think something that sometimes people fail to talk about when we're talking about Venus especially um, Libra um, mm -hmm. but so very much concerned about making sure things are equal and that's like probably the biggest thing when it comes to dating and relationships for me is that like I want my equal like I want someone that makes me feel like you know there's no does not put me on a pedestal but also like doesn't feel like they're above me um and yeah it's like I just want things to feel balanced and which is hard with it being in the eighth house <laughs> I'll tell you that um but yeah I just wanted to put that out there that like the justice and the fairness and mm -hmm. equality really is is definitely a big Venus and Libra thing as well that just reminded me, I was just talking with someone recently who had um, a who has a considerable Libra collection, you could say. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that we were talking about was the fact that in the tarot, the justice card is always depicted with a set of scales or consistently con depicted with, not in all tarot decks ever, um, but a set of scales, but also a sword. Ooh, right yes. and just how powerful um how powerfully important it is to be able to cut things away that are impeding equity and fairness and also the intense satisfaction there's like a this is something i was thinking about when we were talking about mediation a little bit which is you know the so Taurus has like the sensual, like the, like you can tangible, like tangible pleasures of some kind. And I think with Libra, you get like the intellectual and like abstracted pleasure of like the really, like how satisfying it is to come to a fair conclusion after or within like an argument of some kind, a disagreement of some kind. And, you know, both parties come away from that feeling like they were heard, feeling like their needs were accounted for, and also feeling okay with whatever uh, compromises they might have been asked to engage in. Like that is like so yummy but it's like, like it's not the same right now i know right <laughs> it's like it's like not the same kind of yummy as chocolate cake but it's no. like you know but it's still just it's a different kind of delicious it's an it's abstract like, delicious mm -hmm. it's like the equivalent of like dirty talk yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but it's like but it's like i love you so much and i care about you and i'm going to listen to what you need and you know, not take personally the, like negatively personally, like not get defensive whenever you ask me to change my behavior or, you know, have a discussion with me about how something I've done or not done is making you feel some kind of way. Like that is just, it's so good. Yeah. That's a turn on for sure. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> All of us are like, yeah, let's drink some water. <laughs> Actually, I feel like this is a great example of because um, I, I always think of Libra, like Venus in Libra, to be like yeah, like aggressively, aggressively um, into like seeking that sense of like fairness. It's like it's quite aggressive actually, and so it made it made me think of, like sign. yeah, domicile, like also like planets in its own domicile, they're a bit aggressive actually. <laughs> 
um, in terms of pushing their own agenda, like in terms of mm-hmm. being a tourist, being like, yeah, aggressively tangible. And like, mm-hmm. that's like, that's so real. And like, in terms of Libra, there's like such a staunch way that they seek whatever it is that they're seeking in terms mm-hmm. of, yeah, like conclusions, but also like conversations. Um, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> well, this is a good transition into Venus and Pisces. Um, which is uh, Venus's uh, exaltation. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Venus and Pisces, well, to quickly talk about, like, exaltation, um, there's, how do I even say this? Like, there's different levels. No, that's not, that's not the way to to go about this. Um, What I will say is, like, a planet in domicile, um, which for Venus is, is Taurus and Libra, is it, it's in the sign that it has rulership over um or it's in a place that it's really comfortable in in pisces venus is exalted and basically exaltation means um to be raised up or lifted up um to be given honors or basically like it's a form of dignity um that that has to do with like having a an exalted position or like a, a higher up position. Did, did that sound right to you guys? <laughs> One of the ways that I like to think about exaltation is like that planet gets the extra fancy, really good quality version of the tools that it likes to use, even if it doesn't necessarily get to dictate all of the other resources available to it. So it's oh like, um, it's like Venus and Pisces, just to like maybe use a kind of stereotypical version, like in Taurus or Libra, it has like all of its favorite makeup and makeup tools, like makeup brushes, but then it goes to Pisces and it's like the latest, most amazing brand new, like high, high tech, high luxury versions of what it's already used to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I never use a hairdryer, but sure. (laughs) Something, this is a $400 hair dryer that I was looking at. No big deal. Yeah. Um. Or like they actually have an entourage that's just doing their makeup for them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, even better. Stylists, yeah. Because yeah. like actually how I've been thinking about exaltations lately, yeah, and I agree with everything you've said, um, is like an access to ease. But, you know, this is so contextualized because it really depends on the ruler, right? Because like, the, the, the thing with being an exalted planet, um, you're, it's not in its own sign. So yeah, when planets are in its own sign, it's like very inherent to their nature. Um, but in exaltations, it's yeah, there's like a, there's access to ease in a way in terms of how their inherent nature manifests. But mm-hmm. of course, in the context of the condition of their ruler as well, that kind of adds a bit of layer. But just for our purposes, like that's sort of how I thought about it um and that and that can be really contextualized like what does ease look like Mm -hmm. for people something that um cam white who is well is slash on slash was on uh (laughs) episode two which is the sun but cam white once put exaltation in um the context of like you know, if, if domicile is that planet's home, then exalta- their exaltation is their, like, vacation home, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, the place they like to go to just, like, you know, they have, like, someone there helping them, like, maybe, like, a chef there that kind of just, like, takes care of things and, um, 
yeah it's just like this special place that this that the planet likes to go to kind of I don't know it's not necessarily a vacation but it's like going to your favorite spot um that's like not not outside of your home mm-hmm. um yeah. and so and I, oh go ahead I was just gonna say to in rebuttal I feel like that's so yeah so that's interesting because then when I think of privilege as an absence of experience it's like when mm-hmm. when because like this is where like with my Venus in Pisces where I where I have some problematic experiences with it is that I often have this narrative which is inherited from like my family conditioning about like being lazy or like almost expecting things from other people Mm. (laughs) um and and you know like my relationship to that is like something I'm working through but like there is something about that like this expectation of things kind of being handed to you and so that's kind of an interesting context in terms of how that manifests in people's mm-hmm. lives so that's why I feel like and exaltations is is to me like mysterious to be honest because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like when when you like when I read a lot of like sort of the Hellenistic source text some some of them are not very clear like in terms of the theme of exaltation although I know we're uncovering them slowly but surely um, but yeah I think about that a lot because I have seen clients with like exalted planets and sometimes their stories um, they share their stories in a way where they feel like I just don't feel challenged or they, there's no impetus for action. There's almost like a sense of complacency, even boredom almost. Mm, like um, too, too easeful to, to yeah. use like your ease yeah. um, idea where it's like the, there's been so much ease that um, there's like not even an appreciation of the ease because there hasn't been sufficient challenge to Mm. achieve or receive whatever that exalted planet might um, provide. I love Mm -hmm. that. I remember also- But that might just be- Oh, sorry. No, I was just (laughs) going to say- Yeah. Real quick. Sorry. I know we're going to keep doing this (laughs) because- We have We're the same ascendant, and so, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, to piggyback off of that, um, something that Austin Kopic once said about, like, exaltations is it's, like, that, it's almost, like, the perfect or, like, the the ideal conditions for that planet where, like, they won't, they won't go to extremes in that. So I, I like to think of it as, like, temperate weather um, mm-hmm. or just, like, yeah, being in an environment that's, like, very very comfortable um which kind of goes with that like it's it's so comfortable that you're not really pushed to like do anything in it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah what were you or there's even if oh sorry go ahead no go ahead diana <laughs> i have forgotten what i was gonna say <laughs> oh, oh my god i was i was just gonna say like sometimes comfort like when you're used to comfort it's not just like there's a complacency around going outside of it. There can also be a fear of going outside of it, of just being like, well, everything is so easy. Why would I do anything that might fuck that up? Mm. And also I want things to be challenging, but also I'm afraid of things being challenging because I haven't been challenged and I don't know if I can handle challenge. And like those kinds of things I think can also come up with like privilege in general. Um, and I think as we translate that into something like exaltation, I think it also applies. I was thinking also of respectability politics mm-hmm. with, with exaltations, like that sense of, because in horror, it's interesting to watch 
how essential dignity is applied compared to natal astrology. Um, in, in Hori, when a planet is in an exalted position um, or in an exalted sign, and then there's an aspect to the you know, relevant significations, there's almost this sense that this, whatever it means is being put on a pedestal and that it's almost removed from, some, uh, from its like reality. So it's almost like, you know, you're expecting too much from this person or this job or mm-hmm. this, this situation and that um, there might be like a power imbalance that kind of happens as well. But I think also just individually, I'm curious about, you know, like the expectations people feel um, from if they have like a, like a planet in an exalted sign. Like I think for me, I experienced that to a degree for sure. Like I, I pretty much live my life like, I need to be dressed up wherever I go. <laughs> I would say like 90% of the time it is, it, it's, it's kind of like a self-care survival way of like, and it's like a, a way to, to like regulate my moods the way chocolate can regulate moods. Um, I have to kind of always like be presentable. And I feel like that feels sometimes like pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being younger and being really self-conscious with like lovers and being afraid to like take off my makeup or like show like, bear myself in like a really vulnerable way without like the adornments. Like I feel like that, that can be how like my Venus in Pisces has shown up and it it would take like time and age for me to like, I guess, work on accepting, you know, like Mm -hmm. parts of myself that maybe I don't have to put such a high expectation on. I share that experience too, Charm. So I wonder how much of that is Venus in Pisces versus Venus in the first house. Totally. Yeah. Venus in the first house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were speaking, this idea came up, like um, knowing that we're going to be talking about Venus and Virgo, Aries, and Scorpio, yes, too, <laughs> which is like this sense that um, when Venus is in domicile or exalted, there is a prioritization of um, there can be a prioritiza- prioritization, excuse me, of um bringing together right like that's Mm -hmm. venus's principle and part of why venus can have a hard time in virgo aries and scorpio is because there is an ask for some kind of discernment or um like unification through severance Mm -hmm. which can feel paradoxical um and as that relates to something like respectability politics you know, Venus in a sign where it is dignified is like, yes, I'm going to be like part of this. And that means I'm going to follow these kinds of rules because that's how, you know, we live in a society. And when we live in a society, this is (laughs) how you be. Um, Whereas with Virgo, Aries, and Scorpio, Venus is in a position where respectability is not as liberating or um, supportive of agency um, as it might aspire for respectability to be, right? Respectability feeling more like a cage um, than a way to attain one's desires. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, let's, a few more things about Venus and Pisces. Mm-hmm. I feel like we talked so much about exaltation in general which I think is super helpful what does Venus in Pisces look like like what is an exalted Venus like because I'm thinking a immediate picture of my brain is like 
mermaid for some like a beautiful <laughs> gorgeous mm. mermaid um, yeah it's like yeah a poet um, or a dancer a dancer yeah. yeah ballet maybe not ballet because that's a little bit too re- regimented mm-hmm. um but yeah I think I think I of just like artists. yeah artists like beauty that's just kind of like boundless beauty I guess is a good way to put it Something that instills like a sense of transcendence through the experience of beauty, right? Because like if Venus wants harmony and unification and Pisces is like unitive consciousness, like then Venus is there being like, um, yes, we all did the exact same drugs and now we're all on the exact same like (laughs) fifth dimensional plane. Speak my language. Actually, you know what? I was thinking of Jupiter, um, because yeah, Venus is in the sign of Jupiter when it's exalted. Um, and in ancient astrology, Jupiter's main um, principle is actually to heal and stabilize, mm. as opposed to I know in the modern way we think of it as like expansion and like the grass is greener. Um, but I it, it makes me think of even like the Virgo Pisces axis of service. Like when I think of Venus in Pisces, there is like this sense of um, impulse towards healing through some kind of service um, mm. th- that's quite collectively oriented mm-hmm. um, so yeah I guess like when I think of the job of artists like that's sort, sort of one of their roles is mm-hmm. to like move people <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and provi- provide some kind of medicine for everyone There's as an also- example Yeah, there's also a surrender with Venus and Pisces and like the, like even like, you know, an artist makes an artwork with like their own intention and, you know, impulse or inspiration or whatever, but then they release it out into the world, which is a surrendering of how people perceive what's been made, you know, whether that art be a painting or a novel or whatever, like once it's out in the world, it is no longer up to the creator um, how that is interpreted and how people take that in, um, which is really beautiful in terms of just generosity, like Pisces and Jupiterian things having a generosity to them as well. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's mm. a good transition into Venus and Virgo. We'll talk about the fall now that we, um, that we talk about exaltation. So Venus and Virgo is what's called in its fall or depression, um, meaning it's opposite, it's exaltation. And do you guys want to talk about fall a little bit? Um, yeah, I feel like with fall, it's literally about like when something's fallen, it's, it's in a lower place. And that can be experienced as not feeling like it doesn't, well, I guess, for one, being pushed to extremes in order to be noticed or respected. You can think about like, if you're inside of a ditch and you're trying to be seen, it's a lot harder to be seen if you're in a lower place. And so you have to kind of push yourself to extremes in order to find that recognition. Um, Yeah, I'll pass it over to you guys, but how would you describe fall? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, um, I feel like with fall, there's also a sense of um, experiencing the inverse of 
comfort. So like there's an experience of discomfort instead. Um, so when I've spoken with um, like folks with Venus and Virgo, there can be a sense of discomfort with the mainstream ideations of Venusian qualities. Um, it doesn't mean that they can't embody it or they can't find ways of engaging with it, but there's just, you know, like, why would I ever want to be like a Victoria's Secret model? Like that's so shameful or that's such a, like, there's just like, there can be like a distaste even for the mainstream, like most mainstream manifestations of what gets categorized as Venusian. Um, and so pleasure not being like pleasure or other Venusian um, experiences, um, having to find ways of engaging with that um, in ways that aren't, that don't trigger, I guess, like a disgust response in that person, right? So um, like, I don't know, even thinking about um, taking a lot of pleasure in, um, you know, thinking about Virgo, taking a lot of pleasure in editing, right? Taking a lot of pleasure in um, culling, right? Taking a lot of pleasure in organizing, taking a lot of pleasure in, um, you know, precise movement versus like loosey-goosey movement. Um, so that like the, like finding, finding a way to access the inverse of what is stereotypically Venusian for someone's like a sociocultural context. Mm. Yeah. And I love that so much. I feel like um, um, a few astrologers have, have shared how they talk about like planets in fall. I know Chani mm. Nicholas in her book, she talked about them as being like humiliated or disrespected mm. as like also like the opposite of being exalted and put on some respectable mm -hmm. position. Um, Ace, Alice Parklica actually just um, put out an article today and it was interesting how they talked about exaltation as like, like consistent disappointment. <laughs> mm. um, and, but definitely like their context is like, you know, whatever that planet is in the chart, it's like, could be like institutional disappointment, which is a lot of what they talk about. Um, mm. So that really made me think a lot too about like what it means to, yeah, it's like, you just have to work harder at something and and it's almost like becomes this practice or lifelong um, aim to sort of find, you know, what it means to be laboring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we're thinking of Venus, like you said, it's like, how do you derive pleasure in this sort of drawn out kind of labor to arrive at, you know, like the pleasure? <laughs> yeah. Um. Did you, did either of you go to Greg Crawford's talk at Norwalk 2019 around, oh my gosh, it's so good. He has it up on his website, but it's about Mercury and Venus in fall because they have opposite signs of fall, right? So like Venus is exalted in Pisces and Mercury is in fall in Pisces. Um, Venus is in fall in Virgo and Mercury is exalted in Virgo. Um and he, like, one of the things that he talked about was the story of the Eros and Psyche myth. Um, and in that, Psyche, who is the beloved of Eros, 
um, ends up having to do all of these like really painstaking tasks in order to reunite with Eros after she betrays Eros, essentially. Um, and I've, Aphrodite, Venus, is the one who sets Psyche onto all of these mm -hmm. tasks. Um, and so that idea of like humiliation and then um, like uncertainty of how to like regain that unification um, and having to engage with a bunch of tasks and kind of like with exaltation where there can be kind of a surrender of amazingness to the ruling planet of the exalted sign, right? Um, in fall, there's a surrender um, to a certain degree of like how much control you can actually exert over things. Um, and as that's demonstrated in the Psyche and Aerosmith, like Psyche, um, Psyche ends up successfully completing her tasks with the assistance of like small beings around her. Like she can't do it herself. She has to be open to assistance in order to like, you know, be humble enough basically to accept support in order to achieve her heights again. Um, and I think that's a really interesting of, way to think about it. Yeah, and that reminds me a lot of the way that Demetra George has talked about Venus and Virgo and how mm -hmm. with it being ruled by Mercury, it's like Mercury is like, you can't just go have sex and, you know, be, like experience pleasure. You, you have a little <laughs> list of things to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so like Mercury being, you know, having like kind of assigning venus with like all these tasks mm -hmm. um which yeah excuse me um i just feel like that what you were just saying about gray's talk and that myth really aligns with that like venus or sorry mercury is like first complete your to-do list and then you can like have that piece of cake and that's kind of mm -hmm. how i see um venus and virgo acting as well mm -hmm. You know, in relationships, it reminds me of people who um, go out of their way to make the other person's life better. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so there's almost like this orientation to the other, in a sense, um, mm -hmm. almost as if like a certain sacrifice of the self happened. Mm -hmm. um, but, but yeah, I always just think of Virgo as like the optimization sign. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, um, yeah, like a, a partner who would like really do the things to like make the lives better in some form. And mm -hmm. it's almost like the those kinds of showcase of affection is probably not even, it's not the ones we romanticize as a society, you know, like, a, you know, a, a partner or a, a co-worker or like a, I don't know, like a, a family member who like does the laundry <laughs> or mm -hmm. like, you know make sure make sure the soap dispenser is filled up and yeah. um and it's like those like the details of like i guess like the mundane details that maybe get overlooked i think that's part of like being in a fall like there's a there's almost like this sense of being overlooked somehow mm -hmm. um and underappreciated yeah. um Pro but tip yeah. for people in relationship with Venus and Virgo, notice the tiny things they do for you. Yes. Oh yeah. And like, my dad has Venus and Virgo <laughs> and he's always being like, yeah, did you notice I did that? Did, did you notice uh, the, the rose bushes I planted? Like, yeah, I, I think of that a, a lot. With, I see that a lot too with people with Venus and Virgo, how they're just like, 
so service oriented in the way that they, I mean, acts of service, like that's the love language. They show their love through being of service to people and almost to a detriment. Um, speaking of detriment. <laughs> Wait, actually, what <laughs> yes, you just said, ahead. it's like we mentioned acts of service for Venus and Taurus, but the acts of service for Venus and Taurus are different than the acts of service for Venus and Virgo, but they're both earth signs, right? They're both doing tangible things, yes. right? Where it's like an act of service for Venus and Taurus is like, look at this beautiful meal I made you. Yeah. Whereas an act of service for Venus and Virgo is like, did you notice that I am like <laughs> always keeping the dishes clean and put away? Yes. And Venus, Venus in Taurus is also like, look, I've adorned myself in like beautiful oils and for lingerie. For you. For you. <laughs> for you. For me, but for you too. Yeah. <laughs> As a treat. Yes. Yeah. And Venus yeah. and Virgo is like, I did your laundry. Like, <laughs> and I like hung up the silk thing so that, you know, like I, I did, did it perfectly. Yeah. Or Venus and Virgo is like, I intentionally didn't eat legumes all week because I knew I was going to sleep over tonight and I didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. All right. So let's shift into Venus and its detriment. Um, Venus and Aries. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Venus and Aries. Let's start there. Um, Opposite Venus and Libra. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have this like, well, you know, I'm not going to go there actually. Um, (laughs) It's talking about like all the women I've been with with Venus and Aries. I, I just have this weird thing with like my, my Libra stuff and Virgos, I mean, and um, Aries stuff, but yeah, I see Venus and Aries um, as being just kind of like almost having no filter <laughs> in the sense that like they are just so direct with like relating to people. Like the, the way that they relate to people is very direct and very forthright and like just does not beat around the bush. Um, Whereas like for me with Venus and Libra, I'm, I'm very like careful with the way that I am engaging with people. And I feel like just very, I don't know, I'm extremely socially aware. I can say that, I guess. And not to say that people with Venus and Aries aren't socially aware, but I feel like the, like the, like social etiquette just doesn't really compute as much. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Well, I like to think of, so going back to like the conversation, like what's the difference between like domicile and um, (sighs) antithesis or however you want to like detriment, whatever word you want to use for that. It's like Venus in Aries and Scorpio is Venus trying to Venus, but using Mars's tools. Mm -hmm. And in Aries, those are tools of like flamethrowers and like spears and like aggression and forthrightness and like, I just want this thing and I'm going to get it. Um, And there's like a ferocity that Aries carries. And so you put Venus in Aries. I just made some rhymes. (laughs) Um, So you put Venus in Aries and it's like, I just love things so much. And like that lack of filter is like enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. right? And that enthusiasm is sometimes like buoyant and sometimes it's like ragey. Like I feel like um, a lot of the Venus and Aries people I have encountered are some level of activisty, right? They want to like express their desire for fairness, the Libra thing, um, with vitriol, right? Like they, they're like, 
I, we could sit around and like just have Mai Tais. That's one kind of cocktail we could consume or we could go throw Molotov cocktails, right? So yes. there's like, a, I don't know, there's a, there's an urgency with Venus in Aries mm -hmm. that you don't get with Venus in Libra. Like Venus in Libra can have more like of that balanced patience and just kind of waiting things out. And Venus in Aries is like, no, now. Yes, I love that. Actually, like in, in terms of like um, the, the gender binary, like I often say like, I love Aries women. <laughs> like I love Same. Aries. <laughs> I love yeah. like Aries. Like Aries femme energy to me is so attractive, but like Aries men, I'm just like, uh. <laughs> um, but like, but in a sense, I think that this has a lot to do when I think of it in the context of like sexuality, um, like in terms of like how like feminized sexuality is not, you know, like it, it's not palatable to the patriarchy to be like a Venus in Aries, someone who's unapologetic and shameless about mm. their desires. Um, that's often what I think of Venus in Aries. There's like a shamelessness. Mm -hmm. um, that that's like for me because I have Aries placement, so it's for me it's really refreshing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but but I'm sure like in like certain relationship dynamics, it can bring up stuff. You know, like there is a tendency for Venus Aries folks to be very self oriented, which is actually what's antithetical to Venus's principle, which is like mm -hmm. it's it's it really thinks of kind of like everyone involved but in terms of it in being Aries there's a prioritization of the self mm -hmm. um but but yeah all the things you both have shared like the loudness I love that <laughs> <laughs> and that like sort of Cena warrior princess archetype yeah. I actually looked up uh Lucy Lawless and it's she triple doesn't Aries no she does not have Venus and Aries though Mm. Oh. I think she has Venus and Taurus because like, I remember being like she has to have Venus and Aries I need to be able to use her as an example of Venus and Aries <laughs> and I can't oh. Oh. what but. about Venus and Scorpio oh Venus and Scorpio <laughs> I mean I I feel like with Venus and Scorpio there's like the way that Venus goes about relating to other people is through um, this like emotional penetration, like mm -hmm. needing yes. to get underneath <laughs> the surface. Um, I guess with both Venus in Aries and in Scorpio, it's like just can't do surface level shit. But I think especially Venus yeah. in Scorpio, it's like mm -hmm. I do not care. Like I cannot. I I think a lot of people with Venus in Scorpio like hate dating because the whole like let's go out to dinner like, and like, small talk shit. Small talk. Oh god, no. people with Venus in, in Scorpio hate small talk more than anyone, I think, mm -hmm. um, because they just desire, like, they, they desire to know what's underneath, and they want to connect on this, like, very deep emotional level, and mm -hmm. to not, like, anything outside of that just is, like, boring and, like, a, a waste, waste of time. Waste of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I like to think about the Taurus-Scorpio axis as growth and composting, right? Mm -hmm. Or, like, growth and decay. And so, you know, Taurus is like, yeah, let's just, like, have these lush bushes of roses all over the place. And Scorpio is like, it's the end of the season, we're chopping things down, and we're putting it in the compost bin, and we're going to stir it all winter, yeah. right? So Venus and Scorpio is like, what's your compost? Like, what are you rotting right now? Like, what are you processing? What are you yeah. breaking down? And, 
you know, people are like, people, people will talk about Venus and Scorpio as like really intense. And it's like, it's intense, but intense isn't bad. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, you just have to find someone that can actually get on your level when your level is like 30 leagues under the sea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Composting and fermentation is also my favorite ways of describing anything Scorpio, anything in Scorpio. Um, But, you know, I often, I think about Venus and Scorpio in, in an interesting way because of it being like in a night so, like, Venus and Mars are both, like, night-sect planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's almost, like, a resonance between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And um, Scorpio being, like, a water sign is said to be, like, a nocturnal sign. And so with Venus being in a nocturnal sign, even though it is in its place of adversity or antithesis, um, it's almost like there's still a resonance there. Um, but I love that you use the keyword penetration because that's like my Mars. Um, yes. <laughs> Mars, loves Mars, any kind of, yeah. 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 Mars loves anything penetrative. Yeah. Um, yep. but <laughs> Wait, Charm, where is Mars? We all, wait, all we all have Mars and Scorpio. Scorpio. Oh, yes, I love it. All about penetration. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so amazing. I didn't know your Mars is in Scorpio, Diana. That's it's conjunct Pluto too. Ah. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, what was I saying? I got distracted. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I was thinking like with Venus in Scorpio, um, like there's. Uh, on a like relational level like when I think of nocturnal or night night Mm -hmm. sex it's like um there's a lot that you can't that's not visible so it's Mm -hmm. almost like relationally you know part of the processing even on a cellular level with composting it's like what like Venus wants to just see what you're hiding Mm -hmm. um and what's unseen and like and and in in some ways it can be like kind of package as like what's your truth and when I think of Mars as like really kind of wanting to get to the heart of the matter and like cut through all the bullshit and the pleasantry mm-hmm. um I guess that's one way Venus in Aries and Scorpio kind of function it's like cut the bullshit let's get straight to mm-hmm. the point <laughs> like we don't, we don't need um, all of these fluffy niceties like stop with all of the cute emojis and exclamation points just yes. say what you mean yes yeah. yeah. And like do the inner work so you can actually say what you mean. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Love that. And yeah, and I guess in our world that can be like seen like in terms of intense being seen as bad or like mm-hmm. you know perceived as bad because it's like we're all kind of in this culture where we really kind of want to package things in a way that feels good <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so there's a there's a tendency to like lean against like things that are uncomfortable mm-hmm. but yeah venus in scorpio like loves that shit <laughs> <laughs> yes um i think oh go ahead i was just gonna say i think one of the things that venus and scorpio really has to watch out for is being more concerned with the penetration and the depth than with the connection right because like the aim always is some level of connection and so if you can remember like you know even with venus and virgo aries or scorpio like the point of this is to forge connection right so it's like are you obsessing over someone that you can't connect with Mm-hmm. or are you in like depthful conversation with someone that you are deeply connecting with awesome <laughs> um so s- piggybacking off of that um i wanted to talk about how folks can work with venus 
um, especially if it's in a difficult sign, like it's detriment or fall, or if it's in a difficult house or having, you know, difficult aspects with malefics, um, or even it's not that just malefics are difficult, I think, <laughs> even like outers or, um, yeah, any, any sorts of tips you can give and you can give specific or not. Um, but yeah, I, and I think we're thinking like practically, both practically and magically, um, how can we work with Venus? I've been thinking a lot about kink lately. I've been obsessed with just like kink politics <laughs> the past. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like ever since Mars went into Pisces, which is my first house, like I've just been kind of re-obsessing with like how like kink can actually be like such a transformative way people can engage like healing from sexualized violence and trauma in their life and i feel like venus to some degree really like when we're thinking desirability um like i feel like there's a lot there there's a lot of richness there around like um you know like sexuality gender dynamics and um engaging with like safe consensual like contracts with people um and building and nurturing like trusting relationships where that can happen um I feel like can be very powerful I mean like of course I'm engaging with it during like a pandemic where it's much harder for people to find (laughs) contracts and connections um but I feel like our world is yeah like you know like in terms of the Venusian principles of like connection like you can do a lot of that in in a self-work but like I feel like the next level is actually engaging with other humans in that Mm -hmm. kind of um, like the surrendering, I feel like Diana and I, we had like a little short back and forth on Twitter about like trusting and surrendering as a kind of way of working with Venus as well. Um, yeah, that's the first thing. I just I have to I say, Mars and Pisces for me too was about researching kink. <laughs> Which is just we wild. Love, we love Mars. We love Mars in this episode too. We love the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. I feel like one of the most powerful things, and I think this relates even to kink, um, no, it definitely relates to kink, is um, investigating, like really investigating what you find beautiful, what you find attractive, what you find pleasurable. And like, you know, this is probably my Uranus ascendant speaking a little bit, but, um, you know, really letting yourself go beyond what you've been trained to consider pleasurable or beautiful or attractive and instead just like really being like you know like I know that one of the things that people can do whenever they're exploring kinks is like exploring kinky porn and like actually paying attention to like what turns you on without judging yourself Mm -hmm. for the fact that you are being aroused by a particular situation or scene or whatever (laughs) um you know and if like you know, it doesn't only have to be sexual. You can also do this in terms of like, you know, what food do you actually find enjoyable and pleasurable? And like, not thinking in terms of like, ooh, it's so sinful, but like yes. actually what tastes good. Like, mm-hmm. like a juicy ripe peach is always, always, always going to be better to me than like the fanciest, most decadent cake. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even like cake that much, honestly, in terms of like, desserts but you know just (laughs) pie I'm a pie girl um but 
you know, really, really questioning that and like thinking in terms of too of like, why have you been prioritizing dressing in a particular way? Or, um, you know, if you're on any kind of dating apps, like really questioning, like, why do I think this person is physically attractive versus this other person? Mm -hmm. And what would happen if I swiped right on someone that, you know, in their photograph is maybe not the thing, but in their profile, like in their bio, mm -hmm. there's something there that's like, you know, catches you. Yeah. Um, like, I think those are all really good ways to um, make friends with Venus in a way that goes beyond um, conditioning and stereotype. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Like, I just, I, I thought about, sh like, working with shame, like, all the shame mm -hmm. that we carry, have internalized, we absorb day in and day out. Like, food is a big one. Like, yeah. uh, people's relationships to food and their bodies. Um yeah, that's that's huge in terms of that work. Yeah, for me, Venus is comes up a lot um, through music and mm -hmm. like this Venus retrograde that just went by. It was so much about just like really indulging in my favorite music and um, Venus transits tend to align with that for me. Just like hearing beautiful sounds. Um, I'm actually speaking of like I don't know if this is consider it magically probably but um I just started a Venus fast so I'm fasting all day today it's a Friday um until sunset and I'm hoping to keep that up for for many weeks and possibly years to come um so that's a, another way you know to work with a planet um for me I'm doing it because Venus is my exaltation ruler as being a Pisces rising, Venus has some say over um, my rising sign and ascendant and therefore my body. And um, I have kidney, kidney disease. Um, and so I think strengthening Venus, which, you know, kidneys are ruled by Venus and Libra and it's very much like a, a Libra thing, um, having kidney disease. And so I'm hoping that doing this fast and like doing ritual around and, you know, just giving offerings to Venus basically um, might help with like, it might help Venus in terms of taking care of my body because my ascendant ruler Jupiter is in detriment and therefore not as strong as it could be. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So and that's another way. Your Jupiter is in Venus's fall too, right? right? It's not just Jupiter in detriment, it's Jupiter in Virgo. Mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I was like fasting for Venus. And then as you were explaining it, I was like, okay. This makes <laughs> <Yeah>. sense. <laughs> it, was, it was Jen's art. Um, I had a consultation with her recently and she gave me the idea because I, I was starting to fast, fast for Mars and she was like, mm -hmm. you don't really, your Mars is in Scorpio, it's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but fasting for Venus helps because it helps support my ascendant. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also like in Vedic systems in Virgo and in, in um, fall. So that's mm -hmm. just another reason to kind of uplift it. And um, something I didn't know about fasting, I thought fasting was a way to kind of like turn down the volume on a planet. But what it is, is it's the, the food that you're not eating is considered like an offering for that planet. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, which I didn't know before having that consultation with Jen. So 
that really opened my eyes. And before this, like an hour ago, well, not an hour ago, but an hour before we started recording, um, I did, I went out and bought some flowers, about seven flowers for Venus and constructed an altar and used some of my sphere and sundry, um, you know, Venus and Libra oil and spray and it has some Venus and Pisces stuff. And I have some Venus and Taurus tincture from Alice Bolin and kind of just like did the whole Venus thing. I recited her hymn, which I'm kind of considering um, adding to this episode, like at the end of it, Mm -hmm. uh, I actually, I I rewrote the hymn a little bit because I really don't love the Taylor translation, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, um, for those who are like listening to this being like, what are you talking about the hymn, (laughs) right? So the, all of the planets and several other, um, divinities and sort of like, I don't know, sacred figures, um, within the Greek pantheon, um, have a set of hymns that are attributed to the Orphic tradition. Um, and there's a translation that happened in like the late 1800s that you can find for free online everywhere. Um, if you Google it, um, one of the things like, so going from like kind of the abstract ways of working with Venus to like, I think it would like, since you were just sharing how you've been directly working with Venus, Kara, um, one of the things that's been really important for me, especially over like the past several months, um, where I've been experiencing um, lack of access to certain kinds of pleasure, um, the kind of pleasure that has consistently remained for me is the pleasure of scent. And so for me, perfume is actually a huge way for me to engage with Venus. And I have like a whole bunch of perfumes on my Venus altar. And um, I actually am subscribed to a Patreon for Lunea Perfume. Uh, Lunea Perfume, L-V-N-E-A, is actually a Montreal-based natural perfumer. And so like my monthly subscription to that, I consider to be a Venusian Um, offering and engagement and every one of the perfumes that I get sent through that goes on my Venus altar and I engage with it in like a Venusian like tactile way Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you know finding specific accesses like specific gateways to pleasure and devoting that to Venus being like my pleasure in this is an offering to you Um, and remembering that like our own enjoyment is part of like Venus's like desire. Um, And so being like, I'm really loving this and like maybe in your heart or out loud saying a little prayer to Venus whenever you're engaging or experiencing something really pleasurable um, can be a way to kind of draw your attention to the Venusian sphere in a a good way. Beautiful. Um, I think politically and communally, one way to work with Venus is to support like femmes and mm-hmm. women and like, um, you know, workers. like, yes, yeah, sex workers confront like toxic masculinity in your, in your intimate relationships and like communities and like even like our own like internalized misogyny like mm-hmm. I feel like those are really good ways of engaging with Venus as well, like in a in a macro level, um, how we how we sort of show our concrete support in that sense, or even just our own learning and unlearning, mm-hmm. um, in terms of yeah, like that kind of violence on a societal level. I feel like that's it's pretty you know it's like it's 
it's it's like so old <laughs> mm-hmm. um um and so i feel like it's going to be a constant kind of work i feel like yeah. that's that's one way to work with venus accountability processes and restorative justice would also be really like venus libra mm-hmm. uh things to engage in so not just um like saturnian or martial punition um mm-hmm. and like carceral approaches to communal issues but really trying to um find ways for there to be sufficient community support for people who are harmed and also sufficient um, pathways towards healing and growth for people who do harm Mm -hmm. Um, understanding that people who are harmed and people who do harm are often the same people but just at different times Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally that's real yeah yeah um do you guys have anything else to add about Venus and, you know, anything else that just comes to mind that you didn't get to say before? I think one thing that is really um, important is to remember that the Venusian is not only women, right? And that, um, like, every single person has Venus in their chart, regardless of their gender identity. And engaging with Venus healthfully is actually, I think, even more important for people who haven't had any training or conditioning in what is culturally considered feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and like learning how it is that your own Venus is showing up in the world will actually help you in all of your relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that clarification. I feel like every time I say the word femme for me, it's very genderless. Uh (laughs) Yeah. I know a lot of people don't have that yet. Like they have that point conceptually. Totally. Yeah. It's like the borrowing from like queer vernacular, like Mm -hmm. what femme femme means. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful clarification. Awesome. Well, I think it's time to wrap up, even though I could talk to you guys forever. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, to wrap up, let's, you know, drop some, um, drop your ats. (laughs) How how can people find you, Diana? Um, So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon, um, and also on my website. And the core thing to know in all of those places like my handles the like dot com the like slash like patreon.com slash right it's damashena and that is spelled d-d-a-m-a-s-c-e-n-a-a um yeah so hopefully you can find me that way i know it's a hard (laughs) thing to say and spell we'll have links we'll have links below Um, yeah, I think the best way to connect with me these days is to see me for a session because <laughs> I have really cut down on like writing content. Um, a lot of my internet interaction has been like just being myself in like a very unbranded way, which feels liberating. But um, you can find me on my website at www.charmastrology.com. And my handle on Instagram is also at charm astrology um but on twitter i couldn't get that handle so it's at charm underscore astrology (laughs) awesome thank you both so much for doing this on venus day 
Um, two lovely Venusians. I feel so lucky and blessed. So thank you for being here. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to this episode all about Venus. Um, I'm going to leave you with the Orphic Hymn. And yeah, and just one more little reminder that if you would like to join um, on Sunday's AMA, that's Sunday, um, September 20th, if you would like to join, come hang out for an hour. Um, I'll be answering questions and just chatting with you all um, on my $6 and $10 tiers for my Patreon. Um, yeah, check that out. I'll have a link below. It's um, patreon.com slash the astrology show. And with that, I will leave you with the Orphic Hymn to Venus. Um, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you on Monday with Mars. Bye. Heavenly, illustrious, laughter-loving queen, seaborn, night-loving, of an awful mien, crafty from whom necessity first came, producing nightly all connecting dame. Tis thine the world with harmony to join, for all things spring from thee, O power divine. The triple fates are ruled by thy decree, and all productions yield alike to thee. Whatever the heavens encircling all contain, earth fruit producing in the stormy main, thy sway confesses and obeys thy nod, awful attendant of the brumal god. Goddess of marriage, charming to the sight, mother of loves whom banquetings delight. Source of persuasion, secret favoring queen, illustrious born, apparent and unseen. Spousal, lupercal, and to men inclined, prolific, most desired, life-giving, kind. Great scepter bearer of the gods, tis thine, mortals and necessary bands to join. In every tribe of savage monsters dire and magic chains to bind through mad desire, come, Cypress born, into my prayer incline, whether exalted in the heavens you shine, or pleased in Sirius' temple to preside, or over the Egyptian plains thy car to guide, fashioned of gold and near its sacred flood, fertile and famed to fix thy blessed abode, or if rejoicing in the azure shores, near where the sea with foaming billows roar, the circling choirs of mortals thy delight, or beauty's nymphs with eyes cerulean bright, pleased by the dusty banks renowned of old to drive thy rapid two-yoked car of gold, or if in Cyprus with thy mother fair, where married females praise thee every year, and beauteous virgins in the chorus join, Adonis pure to sing in thee divine. Come all attractive to my prayer inclined, for thee I call with holy reverent mind. <laughs>